Those of you here in the auditorium, let's take our Bibles and let's head over to Revelation chapter 18. We're headed to Revelation chapter 18. While you're headed that direction, let's just do a little bit of silliness. Name a place where adults want to relax but kids want to play. The beach is going to be there. A park, I think that's there as well. In the recliner. You know, that, that's true. That's true. The kids use my recliner to play yet. Absolutely. School sports events, church fellowships. We saw that on, Sunday, on Friday night. Uh, home living around the living room beach. I think, I think number three is the recliner. That's what it's describing. Okay, then the park. Name things you take on a camping trip. Sleeping bag, you should. A tent. Food. What'd you say? Keurig? <laughs> oh my word, yeah, we're going we're gonna to enjoy ourselves. Here's what they said, compass, I don't know why a compass, okay, bug spray, toilet paper, food, backpack, sleeping bag, and number one was Keurig. No, no it wasn't, okay, it was a tent. Name foods that go with peanut butter. That's there. Anything, right? If you like peanut butter, here's what they said: uh, Oreos with a spoon. <laughs> okay, ladies, name something wives really appreciate from their husbands. Help with housework. It's so nice that he does that. So that's a, that's. What else? Compliments. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, that, that, I'm with that answer. <laughs> I like that answer. That one's my cup of tea. Just silence. Here's what they said. Dates without the kids. Help with chores. Being told she's needed. Isn't that sweet? Gifts like jewelry. Compliments. And number one? Number one, time and attention. Yeah. Okay. These are different, different kingdoms in Bible prophecy that are talked about in Revelation chapter 17. They're talked about in other areas. But in the end of the uh, end times, he talks about there are seven kingdoms. One, was, uh, one of those uh, kings was, is not, and will come again. He makes number eight. So with that little bit of help, think through Bible history. Put these in order. Okay. Babylon's going to be the first one. Okay, they were taken out by Medo-Persia. Greece followed them. The ancient Rome. Antichrist. Yeah, now we come in with the Antichrist and his confederation starting up. Antichrist, if you remember the situation, Antichrist will, at the middle of the trip, what happens to him physically? Okay, he's going to be killed or he dies. Okay, and then who takes over after he dies? Okay, the harlot church will take over. Okay, uh, for just a short period. And what's going to happen to the harlot church? The other kings that worked with Antichrist will take her out and they will rule for one hour? Did it say just a short time or one hour? Uh, meaning, and then who do they turn the kingdoms back to? Then the resurrected Antichrist becomes the ruler and he'll be the key figure for the last three and a half years. And so we're in that time period that we're talking about. And if I were to put a title over this section of chapter 17 and 18, it would basically be the party's over. 
Because what he's talking about in chapter 17 and 18 is towards the very end of the tribulation period. The three and a half years that Antichrist has really risen to power. He's implemented the 666. He's in total control, domination, wiping out, trying to wipe out the Jews, the Christians. And God is basically saying, time is up. We're done with you. And so what has happened is just get the, let's back up and let's remind ourselves this is a terribly, terribly wicked time. And if we were to say it was really, really, really bad that whole seven years and gets worse, we would say there's several reasons why. Number one is the removal of the sin stoppers. Who's the sin stoppers that get removed at the very, at the very outset of this entire seven years? Okay, there's two, two aspects. The Holy Spirit and the believers that they're indwelling. So those two are taken away. And if we were to chart it, we would say this happens here. It happens right before the tribulation starts. You have some time before, I should say, whether it be day, weeks, hours, I'm not sure. But then the tribulation starts with the signing of a covenant, but the rapture takes place before that. And by, by the way, there's a reason for a signing of the covenant. Israel needs help because they are... They're facing some type of onslaught. And uh, so every time you hear in the news that Israel is under barrage, like we heard in the last 48 hours, your mind starts thinking, wait a minute, is this, is this God you know, saying go and play the, play the last seven years? Um, we'll, we'll know we're in that last section because we're going to be taken out of here and we're going to be in heaven and then we're shortly thereafter is that last seven years. The results of God's judgment is another reason this is a terrible time. There are three sets of judgments that take place. The first one is the seals. Good. And then what follows the seals? The trumpets. Okay? And it's a terrible time. And then what's towards the very end? The bowl judgments. Very good. Then you have those seven judgments, three sets of seven. There are also, during this time period, there are releasing, several times, releasing of demonic hordes. Some of those have been kept in chains. They've been imprisoned up to this point. But there are several different times that it happens. Demons will, will be released and they'll afflict people with pain for several months. There's another time where we suggested that the 200 million demons that are going to be released, they're going to kill the one-third of mankind. And then Satan is, during this period, is also cast to the earth, no longer allowed into heaven, and his following with him. And if we were to chart that, it's in this time period, probably more clustered together, but it's within that that second half of the tribulation that it gets so bad. Then there is another reason that's so bad, the refusal of people to change. It keeps on coming up time and again that people know that they're under judgment of God, but they refuse to respond. And they refuse to react in a way that they're going to be saying, God, teach us, I'm going to change. And it just gets worse and worse that people just continue in what they're doing. Another reason it is so bad is the rule of Antichrist. And that's what we're talking about in this section of our study. Antichrist has come to power in chapter 17 and 18 gives a description of how he gets to power. That was mostly of chapter 17 that you've already, decide, you've already said that in the first three and a half years he's in working hand in hand with the harlot church, he and the ten nation confederacy. So they're, they're working together but then he suffers a deadly wound at the middle of the, of the tribulation apparently with a battle with Gog and Magog which is the area of Russia today. 
they have a, a major battle. He suffers a deadly wound, and uh, then what happens is he comes back to life. But in that period where he first dies, uh, the harlot church assumes the power, and his allies, the Ten Nation Confederacy, they take her down. And that's all in chapter 17 that we talked about. And then they give their authority back to the risen Antichrist. And so we've, we paused with this last week, and I just want to highlight it again. In chapter 17, if you go to chapter 17, catch this as this idea as you're going through this time period. God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will to agree and to give their kingdom until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And so he's trying to help us to understand that even though people have... Uh, um, a free will, there is also the aspect that God has decreed certain things are going to happen. One of the certain things that are going to happen is this plan of his, this, um, this prophesied period where the ten kings will take out the harlot and then give it to Antichrist. God is in total control in that respect. And so he's making sure that behind the scenes this is happening. At the same time, if you recall, there are three demonic demons that look like frogs that are also working at this time to help move nations and things like that. So you, in the spiritual realm, you have a lot of manipulation taking place. Chapter 18 that we're just starting to look at ends up, let, let's look at the end of chapter 17. The woman which you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And then it goes on and it talks about something else. After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lighted by his glory. He cried mightily with a strong voice saying Babylon the great is fallen is fallen. And all of a sudden he's introducing another aspect of, a, of this vision of what's happening. And if you read the entire chapter it becomes apparent what he's doing. The, so you want to read the whole chapter before you start interpreting. You want to figure out who's the Babylon and what's happening in this. And you're going to find out if you read the whole chapter that God is going, at, going after in this chapter the head of the empire. He's going after Antichrist and his capital city. Uh, let's back up to World War II. When the allies were saying we want to finish this war they knew that who did they have to or what did they have to take out. Okay. They had to get rid of Hitler right? And so where was Hitler at the time? He was in Berlin. So what did they have to go after in a lot of their bombings? They had to go after Berlin, the, the seat of his capital. And so it's that same type of concept that they're saying we, you know, that God is saying I need to take, I, I'm going to take him out but I need to take not just him out, his as we put it, his head, his place, his um, fortress, as talked about in Daniel chapter, nine, uh, ch chapter 11. And so you have God going after his capital. So we've had in chapter 17 the buildup of Antichrist. Now we're going to have the downfall of Antichrist. And when he does that, he's going to make this comment. He says, Babylon the fallen is great. He repeats it twice, is fallen. Have we heard that before? Have we heard this phrase at all? You're supposed to say, I remember, yes. Okay. Thank you. Do you remember where now, Jim, that you spoke up? Okay. In the Bible. In the Bible. Very good. Can you narrow it down to a book? There you go. You guys are so sharp. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 14. And let's see exactly what you just said. Okay. 
If you go back to chapter 14 and in verse 8, he says, there followed another angel. This is when God sent out his angels. The one was proclaiming the gospel. The others were proclaiming doom upon everybody. Look at chapter 14, verse 8. What does he say? Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And what does he call it? A great city. Okay, and so we start looking at this and have we heard of another Babylon that has fallen? Yes, we have. Do you remember where, Jim? <laughs> okay. Chapter 17 has been about a Babylon that has fallen, and it was called a city as well. Is, is he talking about the same thing? That's where this section gets confusing. So that's why I say read the entirety before you do the interpretation. Now, in chapter 17, the Babylon was the city who did what? Remember the, the, the harlot, I'm sorry. Uh, he's calling it the mystery Babylon. The harlot is this mystery Babylon which ends up being a city or related to a city. How did she live? Yeah. Okay, very wicked. What else did she have in her pocket? Lots of what? Lots of money. Okay, what did she do with the saints? Okay, did she, did she have any off... Uh, Oh, my brain went blank. Um, did she have any children? That harlot that did the same things against the Christians? Yes, thank you for a good positive answer. Um, and and where uh, if she sat on a city that had seven hills? Do you remember that? Okay. And we said that is very likely could be if we were looking at history and things that could be the corrupt. Christian church that has been corrupted for ages, that has gotten away from the Bible. Probably the idea of what is seated in Rome that has distorted the gospel. And so he's talked about that woman, that harlot, that was very, that was supposed to be religious, but she was really acting political and very wicked through the period of history. And so now we start talking about a Babylon again in chapter 18 because remember chapter 17, that Babylon was utterly destroyed. That city that, that uh, the kings went after. And so then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, is this the same Babylon? Well, follow along and then we'll come back and do it. Let's read it. After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and this being was lightened by lightened the earth with his glory. He cried, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. All the nations have drunk with the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth, they're waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she said in her heart, I sit a queen, I am no widow, and shall not or ever, ever see sorrow." Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death, mourning, famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. 
And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, they shall bewail her and lament her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her. For no man buys their merchandise anymore, and the merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple silk, scarlet, thion wood, and all manner of vessels of ivory, and all manner of vessels of precious wood, brass, iron, marble, cinnamon, odors, ointments, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, beasts, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, and souls of men. And the fruits of your soul lust after her... Uh, lust after are, and the fruits that your soul lusts after are departed from you. And all things which were dainty and godly are departed from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her, the city, shall stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, decked with gold, precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to nothing. And every shipmaster, all the company of the ships, the sailors, as many as trade by sea, they stood afar off. And when they saw the smoke of her burning, they said, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast their dust upon their heads. They cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city wherein uh, were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophets, for God avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall thy great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more. And the voice of the harpers, musicians, pipers, trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in her. No craftsman, whatsoever craft he be, shall be found any more in her. And the sound of the millstone shall be heard no more at all in her. And the light of the candle shall shine no more. <clears throat> and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in her. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, but by thy sorceries all, men, all nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all that were slain upon the earth. There is clearly in this text a distinction made between this great Babylon and the harlot that had its name, Mystery Babylon. There's similarities, but there are drastic differences. Let's back up. Let's just put it all together. It was predicted already in chapter 14 about this Babylon, the the great city is going to fall. We already read that just moments ago. If you remember in chapter 14, he is talking in the middle of the trumpets. He says, Let's pause and let's talk about the devastation that's going to come upon the earth in the last days. And remember he said there's, it's going to be like a field that is ready for harvest. And he's going to say, the one sitting there is going to be told, now take your sickle and wipe down this field. And how did he describe the harvest? Was it good harvest? A bad harvest? It was a rotten harvest. And he describes the harvest as being the world the earth. And it's the idea that the son is finally told by the father, wipe it out. Take it down. And so that comes just before the bold judgments happen. And so it's a descriptive picture of that idea that what's going to happen is Christ is going to say, final judgment, this is it. It is now the time. God's patience has run out and boom, 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 we get the seven bold judgments. 
This is right before that picturing what's going to happen as far as the bold judgments. Then he says in that same text, there is also another harvest. It's not the grain, but it's, anybody remember? It's the grape or the wine harvest. And how were the grapes described? Okay, they are ready to burst with, because they are so filled with what? with evil, with a, and so he describes that harvest as being, we'll bring them into the, rat, into the vat of God's wrath. They're going to be pressed out, and as the wine is being pressed out in that, in, that, in that vat, he describes it like blood that is flowing out, and it goes where? Yeah. Um, he describes it as blood that's going, you know, Miles, let's leave it at that point because I'm going to get my stats wrong. And he pictures this is the what battle that fills Jehoshaphat's valley. This is the battle of Armageddon. And he makes comment about that, that this is, this is the, the judgment. Again, one of the bold, uh, yeah, the bold judgments that comes. And so he's describing at that moment, he says, Babylon the city is falling. And here's part of how it's falling. It's going to be falling with the seven bowl judgments and ultimately you got the battle of Armageddon. We've not gotten any more details about that until we jump now a little bit further into Revelation and in chapter 18 it's like he's turning back and he's picking up where he said Babylon the great city is fallen, is fallen. I'm going to tell you how it fell. But you already know it's going to happen in the very last days of the tribulation during the bowl judgments. You know that from chapter 14. When the son says, or the father says to the son, take your sickle and wipe it out. Now in chapter 18, he's looking back. He says, I mentioned Babylon, this great city has fallen. Let me tell you how it happens. And so now we get the details of that. And when you start putting the pieces together, we know that it falls because when he describes it, we know it's a city. Very clearly in the text, it keeps on saying, the Babylon, the great city. You saw it, we read it in chapter 16, uh, A of 14. We read it again in chapter 18 several times. It's a city of some sort. And so he describes it. And when he describes it in chapter 18, it is similar and has similar impact, but it is different than the mystery Babylon that is the harlot. Let me show you some differences and similarities. In chapter 17, the city of that corrupt religious system, which we have concluded it could be Rome, and it's, it's consistent to say that in the Bible, was Rome ever called Babylon? It was. Peter wrote about it. Isn't it interesting? Peter, of all people, writes and says, Rome is like the ancient corrupt Babylon. And so... When we read about it in chapter 17, and now when we read about this other city of Babylon, there are some similarities. How did the kings relate initially? How did, how did these two, two Babylons, how did they relate to the kings of the earth? What did they do with the kings of the earth? They're both guilty of this. Okay, they partnered with them. In fact, what does he, what does he say they committed with these cities. They committed adultery or fornication, which in your mind you're going to say good stuff, bad stuff. Okay, so both of these Babylons had some political impact and were working hand in hand with the kings of the earth at some time. 
committing some fornication, some grievous things. They were both described as a very wealthy, yes? Okay? Because the, we talked about the corrupt uh, religious system in Mystery Babylon. She was dressed in purple, fine linen, and all that. This city is the same thing. It's pictured as very, very wealthy. And so they both are described as having influenced the kings of the earth. So they both have some type of worldwide influence that takes place. The religious Babylon seems to be for a long period in history. The commercial Babylon, when it's rebuilt, it's definitely in that last three and a half years. But there is a drastic difference between these two Babylons. Do you know what, did you catch what they were? How do the kings respond to the corrupt mystery Babylon, the corrupt religious system? How did the kings view her? Do you remember it's in chapter 17? Very clearly it says this is how they thought of the mystery Babylon. They turn on her. Why is that? It's in that section where they turn on her, okay, in chapter 17. And this is critical in in understanding who we're talking about here, okay? Uh, Where does it say? Verse 16, chapter 17. How do the kings of the earth view the whore? They hate her. They absolutely hate her, and who makes her desolate? The ten kings do the attacking. The ten kings are the ones that says they make her desolate naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. That's critical in understanding the two texts. So the mystery Babylon, the corrupt church Babylon that that has in the first three and a half years worked with Antichrist, that system, that Babylon is absolutely despised by the kings of the earth at a certain point. When, that, and they lead to her destruction. Okay? By the way, let me throw this out. If they hate her and they bring about her destruction, when she is destroyed, it's not stated, how would they react? With joy? Because they view her as an enemy. Okay. What happens, how do the kings respond when the commercial Babylon of chapter 18 is destroyed? No. Oh, define your upset. Define your upset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I was thinking upset in a different way. Um, yes, they start wailing and mourning for her. They are grieving her destruction. Is there any indication in the text that they destroyed her? That they attacked her? (coughs) Yes or no? No. No. But they react to her that when all of a sudden when she falls, they go into a mourning mode. These two, these aren't the same things. They're similar but different. (coughs) The same thing but different. Her destruction, the the Babylon, the corrupt religion... We've already studied this. Why I point out, it occurs at the middle point of the tribulation because then Antichrist gets his kingdom and rule for three and a half years. That's very clear in the text. When is the Babylon, the commercial Babylon, when is it destroyed? 
This is at the very end of the three and a half years. They're not the same thing. They're similar, but they're different. The similarities is they both work with Antichrist to a degree, but um, <clears throat> the first one is taken off the scene when Antichrist gets world power. And Antichrist then, as, as I view it, it's either this, he rebuilds a new Babylon as his capital. He takes over Rome and makes it his commercial headquarters. Maybe it's, you know, it's a corrupt, uh, however, wherever, whatever it is, it's now a commercial Babylon, not a religious sector. And it's part of Antichrist's rule and domain. And so when he's talking about this Babylon in chapter 18, it is Antichrist's capital city. In Revelation 17, it was an ally to Antichrist in the first three and a half years. Chapter 18, it's during the three and a half years, and it's his capital city. Huge differences. And so when he's talking about it, he's going to say that this is the world's greatest city. By the way, they even make this comment. If we read it, I'm going to try and remember where it was. Look at verse 18 of chapter 18. How did the people of the earth respond? How did they view her, this, this city that's being described as in a feminine way? Incomparable. Nobody is like this great city. Does the world ever say that about an individual at this time period? What's that? Who is like the beast? Chapter 13. So the beast who is recovered, and in chapter 13, that's when they say it. Who is like unto the beast when he comes back? The beast is in his capital city, and the crowds are basically saying, put it all together, who is like unto that beast, and who is, what city is like unto his city? So it's all happening in tandem. Though we've read about it in segmented portion, portions. And so this city becomes the center of economics, culture, world trading, then one world religious center that false prophets initiates and say you have to worship who? <coughs> you worship the beast and you have to take his, his mark. Okay, that's all happening now at this time. And this is his, his center of religion and everything. Her fall occurs just before the battle of Armageddon or in conjunction with the battle of Armageddon. So it's at the end of the tribulation. <coughs> Excuse me. Keep on going. In this chapter 18, is the way I want to dissect it, there's five different voices or sounds that are mentioned that are going to be, give us description of this city <coughs> and what she's like and how they respond. So let's do it this way. Let's dissect it and go kind of through the text, but verse by verse, but kind of jump around a little bit as we just put the pieces together. The first voice that is heard is the angelic voice of condemnation. He starts out the very beginning and he says in verse eight, chapter 18, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and earth was lightened and he cried mightily with a strong voice. So the first voice is this mighty angel. By the way, who is this angel? Who, might, who do you think people might think it is? And why? Any ideas? Let, let me throw it out to you. There are a number of people that say this is Jesus Christ. That he is the angel messenger. Angel at times can refer to the angelic being. It can refer to a messenger of God or a sent one that is going out 
where in the beginning of the book of Revelation, it's the pastors of individual churches. Could this, could, is there a reason why some people, look at the first verse or two, is there a reason some people would say, this is probably Christ? What, what you, you got it. Yeah, what's illuminated? The earth is illuminated by what? Okay, set your timing. Put your timing. What's happening around the earth at this moment? You have the bold judgments. What is one of the judgments? Total darkness. And all of a sudden when this angel speaks, his glory illuminates the earth. Some say it's Jesus Christ. For discussion's sake, you can debate it all you want. I don't think it is, personally. And part of the reason is where he says, I saw another angel. It is <coughs> that phrase, another, has the idea of similar to the previous angels. So what it is, is, is that idea that this angel who is going to have brilliance. And by the way, do angels maintain brilliance at times? Yeah, they can themselves. And so this angel now, he is going to be God's representative and he's going to declare God's judgment and he makes it very clear that he's coming down from heaven, having great power from God, lumens the earth, and we've mentioned already the bold judgments. <coughs> and he cries with a mighty voice so everybody hears. Everybody hears. Do they all understand? I, I don't know. But they hear some sound. And so they're hearing it, and he says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and he repeats that phrase, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, which says to you what? It's an emphatic way of saying, it's happening. It's ha and by the way, it's done in the past tense, which in your mind, we think chronologically. And we have to stop thinking chronologically because this is all future and think how did people in Bible days, how did they at times pre give predictions? They used the past tense. Why? In their mind, it is, it is, so, it is so happening it's done. So remember, stop thinking Western chronology. Think just absoluteness is here. Okay, and so he's saying it's, and in fact, later on, we read it at that spot where I kind of jumped over some of the phrases. He kept on saying, there's no more, there's no more, there's no more, there's no more. It's utterly burnt. We'll come to that. And so they're, uh, they're, the people who are bewailing her, when it happens, they almost express a surprise. Because what do they say? In a hour she's fallen. Later on they say, in day she has fallen. What have they thought about this city? Remember? No city is like this city. In other words, this city is you know, the greatest in the world. It's invincible. And all of a sudden, what happens to this city? It's fallen in just a short period of time. And it's like, are you kidding? By the way, can cities, can empires and this is, the, this, is, this is where some people scoff at how we interpret the, these texts. No empire, no city can rise to power in a matter of just years. A handful of years. They can. They really can. Okay. And can they collapse really fast? Okay. Do you remember ancient Babylon? The invincible ancient Babylon that Daniel was, was warning. And... Um, Nebuchadnezzar's son was having a party. Do you remember the account? 
He's having a party and, and there's the handwriting on the wall. Mene, mene, tekalo farsen. That says, you have been judged, you're going to be destroyed. And remember how Nebuchadnezzar's son and the people, I mean, first thing he does is he wets himself, literally. But they really don't believe Daniel's interpretation because they think they are invincible. Do you remember the, the account historically what happens? The Medo-Persians come in underneath one of the gates in the canal and they drop the city in one night. They take it over. And it's a story throughout history that is going to be pointed back to is Babylon fell quickly. The empire just in a 24-hour period, it was gone and it was replaced. So can that happen? Sure. And they're kind of surprised. And we're going to talk about it where he talks about give him double measure, what they gave out to people. It's going to be a severe destruction. Just absolute destruction. That he talks about how there's fire, there's plagues, there's famine. To the point that at the end of the chapter he says, none of this is going to be found in you anymore. It's just going to be, you're totally wiped off the face of the earth. So our question is, why does God so devastate this city? Well, if we just pause and say, what have we learned about this city from this chapter? Okay? the, The people are saying it's the greatest city in the world, and from God's perspective, it's probably the the most wicked. Okay? And so far, from just what we read this morning and what you were registering, why is God so angry with this city? What did you learn about the city that we read that would indicate God, God should judge the city? What's that? Yeah, at the very last verse. The very last verse. Whose blood is, is all over this city? What did it say? I don't have it in front of me. The prophets, the saints. You've, just, you've attacked God's people. Is there anything else that this city has done that you say, this is wicked? Can I, can I just project this a little? We're, we're not going to get through it all, but that's today. That's okay. What did the merchants, how did they bewail her? When, when they're standing there, and, they're sta- and by the way, it said all these things, the kings of the earth, the merchants, the seamen, where are they standing? It's said three times. They're standing afar off. Why? Yeah. Okay. You know how we joke? People joke, if I came into your church, you better run because the place will be struck down by lightning. You don't want to be near. So these, everybody's standing afar off. And what are they upset about? Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just being silly here. But the characters, the kings, the merchants, and the seamen, they're really upset about what? The loss of their way of life. Loss of profit. And you and I would say, what should be the most moving to us? The loss of life. The damnation of souls. But if you read through the account, every group is more concerned about how does this affect my pocketbook? What does that tell you about the people? Greedy. Very greedy. Who's their God? Money. Covetousness has become their idol. So if you look in a breakdown a little bit more. Let me just walk you through. He says the city has become the dwelling place of demons. 
There's a couple different possibilities of what he means by this, and I don't know the exact answer. The home is, the, is a long-term dwelling place of the demons. The hold that he talks about, the word has the idea of an imprisoning place. Okay? The cage is the same word of like an imprisoning place. In other words, they can't go any further. <clears throat> They're here, but they can't go outside the city. You know how there was times in the Old Testament people ran into the city of refuge? And what were they told they could never do? You can't leave it. That was for their protection. This city, it's almost as if the demons can't leave because God has put a barrier, fence, something to keep them there. And so, and remember when he talks about the birds in this thing, not talking about Alfred Hitchcock's birds when he describes them in verse 2, but he gives the birds a characteristic, an emotional feeling. What is the emotional feeling? <coughs> Hateful. Why would he call, and he's, it's demons, why would he call demons hateful birds? Did he ever in scripture, did Jesus ever compare, illustrate demonic work with birds? Yeah, in Matthew 13, that the birds came and take away the seed, and then when he interprets it, he says, that's who? It's Satan taking away the word of God uh, from the hearts. So this isn't a surprise that he's using birds in this sense, that he's talking about them in a, in a bad sense. Remember, remember from a Middle Eastern point of view, some of the birds are, they're only after carrion. They're scavenger birds. They're not like the lovebirds you want for pets. Okay, they're typically he's looking at them as they're pests, they're in the way. And again, that same thing with dogs. In American culture, how do we view dogs? Okay. okay, dogs are adopted into families, <clears throat> and they love them. In Bible days, typically dogs were what? They were scavengers. They were pack animals. And so you have to remember to step back and read the Bible in the context of the history and how they looked at it. And so he's, is he implying, here's my question that I have from the text, is he implying that uh, prior to the destruction of the city, this, this is... An, an area that is really demonic. I, um, are there certain places in the world where there is a lot more demonic activity than other places? Yeah, yeah I mean more blatant. I'm not saying Satan's not a problem all over. But are there some places that we hear about, our missionary share, where it is in-your-face demonic activity? Yeah, yeah, certain cultures that are really that way. This seems to be one of those cultures. That it is really in your face demonic worship. Uh, or here's what some say is this the hold of, of the demons is that with the destruction of the city that they're, he, they're put here. I kind of lend towards the first, but again, it's not worth debating. Either way, the point is this place is despised by God because it is a demon center, which God would hate. And by the way, how do the demons, ref uh, how do they feel about God? Uh, do you want to take that same hateful and apply that to their, re their view of God? And so it's a place where God is despised. God is just absolutely uh, rejected. That's one reason this is such a really, really bad spot. And, and by the way, when you're talking about hateful, it's not just towards God. 
but hateful towards people. And is this true or not true? Demons typically do not have the welfare of people in mind. That's true. Even the people they possessed in Bible days, what did they do with them? They tried to destroy them. Okay? But how is it presented? How is the occult presented? Positively? You know, that your demon is going to be your friend? Yeah, one big party. Okay. And so from the occult's point of view, demons are presented as they're going to be your guide, your protector, your all these positive things. When in reality, what is, the, what is a simple description of demons? They are hateful. They are bent on whose destruction? Ours? Anything against God. Something else that he stands at, he talks about in verse 3, universal corruption and deception. He's, he, he, will, he, he will impact it through the passage or unpack it through the passage. How many nations are involved with this city? Okay, verse 3. All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication. The merchants are waxed rich through the abundance of her... My King James reads delicacies. Anybody got something else? Luxuries? Okay, good. So what happens in this text is they have drunk of, some of the words can be translated, I'm going to put up different possibilities, uh, passion, her lust towards fornication, the kings commit immorality with her, the merchants are made wealthy by her luxuries. And he says in verse 5, it's an interesting phrase, the sins have reached unto heaven. Literally it says the sins have been piled one on top of another all the way to heaven. Okay? What's that? Yeah, yeah. They, they build a tower of corruption that God views as it's just it's piling high. It's just, so remember, this is God's perspective of the city, what we're getting. And God is just says, this place is just absolutely bad. He talks again. He repeats it. Okay, later, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her. Again, he's reminding us as he just gives us description of the people who are going to mourn her. These people that were associated with her, it was, it was all bad. It was immorality that was there. He talks about in verse 23 which I just want to highlight just for a second because of our day and age, where he says uh, nothing's going to be heard there, but you go to the second half of the verse, by her sorceries, and the word sorceries that's used there at the end of verse 23, where all nations deceived, it's the word pharmakia. Anybody get a, get a sense of what it's talking about? Okay. The possibility is this city was, was um, intoxicating the world. That's a possibility. The, uh, you know, and I'm talking spiritually. The possibility is pharmakia is also used in the book of Revelation, and it's again dis, uh, translated sorceries, occultic activity. In our day and age, could there be more of a literal sense of drugs that we are becoming more concerned about, right? That out of the heart of some of these despicable places, what are, they, what are they sending to, let's pick America. What is our country getting inundated with that is affecting a whole generation, lots of people in a generation? Okay, different drugs. Could this city be a drug capital of the world? Okay, with that in mind, why would people be so inclined to use drugs? 
Are they suffering? Are these people living in a horrible situation? Yes. And could they turn, and part of the deception that is being used, and I'm suggesting something here that, that gets me to a point, could demons use narcotics, different, different vehicles of intoxication to make people do what they want? You know, is that a possibility? Can God, I'm sorry, can demons use alcohol? Can they use barbiturates and drugs? Yes. And so when young people, middle-aged people, whatever age group says, those things aren't dangerous, consider the possibility that in Scripture, who can use them? How do you open yourself up to different influences? Okay. Um, the possibilities there. And again, it could be just purely occult. I tend to think that there's a mixture of all this happening. Let's do something else. It pictures in this all classes of society are throwing off restraints for personal gain. Good thing we don't have that in our country. Okay? But getting gain is over anything. So basically, if I can describe it in a, in a more crass way, this is a materialistic orgy that's taking place on a worldwide level. And people are so wealth, possessions. Good thing people aren't like that in America. Okay. So, but again, this is on a worldwide level. There is a pride and arrogancy. The reason I want to say it, and I'm going to leave you with this unending story right at this moment, where it says, verse 7, she says in her heart, this is the city, I sit a queen, I am no widow, I shall see no sorrow. What is she claiming? What is she saying? Live forever, invincible. This is a quote that is not a quote, but this is an exact quote, but it is part of what comes out of the Old Testament where there is a city in the Old Testament that said before God, I am the queen. In other words, I'm in charge. I'm not like a widow. I'm not like somebody that's orphaned. I am going to be forever. And I don't need you. Okay. Anybody want to guess what city says that in the Old Testament? We'll see it next week. Okay. okay. It's very interesting how it ties to this text. Okay. Thanks. Thanks.